Hello, and welcome to We're New at This. We're aiming to explore some of those topics that graduate school didn't quite cover, from ethical dilemmas to treatment modalities, for the new therapists, the not-so-new therapists, and for all those interested in the sometimes inaccessible world of mental health. Every week, we'll be taking crazy posts we see off the internet about mental health and trying to make sense of our reactions to them. I'm Liat. I am a licensed master of social work, and I currently work in an Indian health services clinic. I am also a sexologist and a PhD candidate. My name is Moshe. I am also an LMSW, as we say in abbreviation. I also work in community mental health on the island of Manhattan, location to be undisclosed, and I'm also becoming a rabbi, believe it or not. So just as a disclaimer, just as a disclaimer, um, note to listeners, anything that we say in this podcast does not constitute um, mental health advice. Um, We are not your therapists. We do not know your life. So we cannot really give you advice. If you need help, seek out a trained mental health or medical professional. Liat, what have you got for us today? What have I got for us today? So I spent a couple minutes on the NoFap Reddit community. Mm. So for those of you not familiar with NoFap, what is NoFap, Moshe? I think fat means <laughs> masturbation. Someone's going to have to explain <laughs> the etymology of that to me one day. I don't know quite where that comes from. Um, I think in, 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 in the most general broad strokes from what I've seen and from my little uh, ventures into it, um, it seems like a group of men who are committed to not bas- masturbating and part of that not consuming porn. Beyond that, there are a lot of sometimes good, sometimes not so good secondary beliefs. A lot of pseudoscience, like uh, believing they're going to get all these extra abilities from not ejaculating. Yeah. I don't know if there's any truth to that. <laughs> I have. I don't think I've known anyone to grow wings from not masturbating. You know, it's an interesting blend of maybe they didn't go long enough. Thousands and thousands of days. <laughs> it takes decades. Maybe um I think for me personally, I always like seeing communities of people that are trying to better themselves. But I think like any self-help community um that isn't necessarily being guided by trained professionals, it, a lot of uh interesting, not so good stuff that might have uh some not so great side effects might seep in. And I'm curious. I kind of assume that's what you got for us today, Liat. Yeah. I mean, first I want to really highlight this one great post I found. Instead of fapping, I donated my blood today with a picture of his arm. Nice. With the needle in it. There you go. So yeah, I, I mean, I'm always for saving a life, going out there, donating blood. You know, it only takes a couple of minutes. So. Also, assuming that this guy had some compulsive relationship <laughs> to masturbation, like, yeah, go find some meaning in your life and go do something uh, pro-social as opposed to... Uh, Closing yourself in your room. Healthy coping skills. We love to see all it. Out. All right. That wasn't the post um, you had so, for us, right? No. <laughs> all right. What you got? What I wanted to talk about today is this post. It's been 123 days of semen retention, mm. and I'm still depressed. Does mm. anyone else feel the same? And then the, the clarifying post says, I go to the gym six days a week, have lost 10 kilograms, 22 pounds in the him. last six wow. months. Yeah. Um, exercise, good for the mental and Mm -hmm. physical health. We love to see it. Uh, He has a decent job that makes him earn in the top 10% of his field. All right, stop bragging. But don't know what will make me happy slash not sad all the time. Wow. Do you think not masturbating is the key to curing this man's depression? 
I'm thinking. I always think of these types of things. <laughs> if, if this guy came into came into our office, where would I start with him? I think you'd probably agree. There's a whole lot of other questions you have to ask before you even get to his his sexual health. But let's pretend this is all we have to go off of. You get one of those <laughs> clients that come in, they say like pretty much nothing, and this is all you can get out of him. Where are you starting? Have you tried anything else to treat your depression? <laughs> <laughs> so you're going straight to pharmaceuticals, or what are you doing? Anything else? Well, the truth anything is, he has else. tried. He has tried other things because he's also he's done six days of exercise. That's more exercise than I do. What were the other things? I don't think getting a great job is necessarily a cure for depression, but that's where I'm starting. I'm starting with his job. You, yeah. you, yeah, like. Which is somewhere I start with a lot of clients. I mean, not a lot, but uh, he says that he's in a decent job that makes him earn the top 10% in his field. Does that sound like somebody who's happy? I mean, you're making good money. doesn't mean you like your job. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. Why do you have to rationalize? Um, yeah, it might not be rationalization, though. Like, he might just be saying, like, I am uh, well off enough to... Uh... No, but th- I mean, that's not what I mean. I just mean, like... We spend most of our day at work. If you don't like your job, that could be a source of your depression. Re- read the quote again. Just that part about the job. I'm doing I'm doing my Talmud thing. I'm like getting really into the nitty-gritty of the words. I go to the gym six days a week, have lost 10 kilograms, 22 pounds in the last six months, have a decent job that makes me earn in the top 10% in my field. Don't know what will make me happy slash not sad all the time. I have a decent job. He's really not highlighting anything in his life that brings him happiness, that brings him joy. I think he's highlighting things in his life that he thinks should bring him happiness, he thinks should bring him joy, probably because other people, you know. I think that this this also brings up another great point is like the gym thing. What's your motivation to be going to the gym six days a week? For me, I work out six days a week, but it's because I love working out. You know, I feel better about myself physically, mentally. It's something I enjoy doing. Um, it's not something I do because I feel like I have to. It's something I do because I want to. I do it for the games. You could work out. <laughs> you could work out three days a week, and that's good for your health. Like, why is he going six days a week? Right. Is it because he has this like toxic mentality that he needs to look a certain way in order to attract women or men or whoever he's into? Or, or it's just compulsive to the same degree that he feels this need and like that's let's give it to this guy strength space we're, we're social workers we're always looking for the strengths this guy has a tremendous amount of this guy has a tremendous amount of motivation like look at how, look at how much willpower this guy has exerted in his life yeah no i mean and i'm sure that's the part of why he's posting here is he's like i'm doing all the things i should be doing i have a good job that makes me good money i'm you know working out which endorphins yeah. all that you know good stuff endorphins make you happy why am i not happy and now i'm doing this thing that this online community says is going to make me happier I'm, I'm not expelling my semen <laughs> so that that's that's the thing above all else you know let, let's take a step back i know I, 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 I definitely want to focus on just like how would how would we interact with this client but what is that idea what is this idea semen retention like have you even heard of that before <laughs> I've heard of it, but I'm also like chronically online. Like I, you know, I'm all over Twitter. I'm all. (laughs) So what's, what's the belief? Like what's that supposed to do for you? Like we said, we're new at this. Um, (laughs) I actually, I Google things in session with clients all the time. If I don't know something, I'm like. uh, Hims, look at that. Hims has the article on it. Oh my God. (laughs) 
the first thing that came up for me is the uh, National Institutes of Health, which is a government website. Why is that the first thing that comes up to you and the first thing that comes up for me is Healthline? Probably because I spend a lot more time doing academic research than you since I'm working on a dissertation. Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> no offense. I mean Google, Google's like we'll give them we'll give them the uh we'll give them the layman's uh website. Okay, yeah, what does uh, National Institute of Health say? You said of mental health? Of health, just health. Of health, okay. Semen retention is an ancient practice similar to celibacy, motivated by the belief that ejaculation weakens a man's overall health. Those who practice semen retention ascribe various health benefits such as improved fertility, testosterone levels, and mental and physical health. But I will point out that the article of this research title, um, excuse me, the title of this research article is called the broad, and it's from November 2022, so it's, you know, a recent article, the broad reach and inaccuracy of men's health information on social media analysis mm. of TikTok and Instagram. Mm. So basically there is no legitimacy to those claims. I want to point out we just we just alienated every single nofap person that came on this thinking we were going to have a nice conversation about nofap. You know what? If you are a nofapper, please reach out to me and I would love to have a conversation with you. You're welcome to come on um to this podcast that probably no one's listening to <laughs> yet and talk to us about it because I would be fascinated to hear what you have to say. You know, obviously, I don't, I don't know so much about this community, but even something like semen retention, there's, there's a beauty to it. Insofar as I, I'm always, I always love how people try to improve themselves. I think that's an incredible, beautiful thing. But yeah, we're, we're trained mental health professionals. We would like people to do stuff that actually has a basis to it. And the fact that I've never Which heard of this is now going to get me. Yeah. Yeah. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> I was just going to go off on my rant about how like. Nothing has a scientific it. basis. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. You can, yeah, we'll I mean, we'll, it's not that nothing has a scientific basis. It's that f- you can probably find research that supports NoFap. Well, you know this conversation is about to talk into masturbation and porn addiction. So we're, we're going to start oh, yeah. talking about how all the all the research <laughs> is cherry-picked to prove both of those sides. But we'll get there in a second. <laughs> uh, research is complicated. Yeah. Making heads and tails of Don't of do the, a dissertation. Don't go for a PhD. Scientific corpus. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's get into that, honestly, um, now that we kind of have an idea of at least what semen retention is. I'm, I'm, I am very curious where the idea comes in. And actually, before we get that, let's, let's just let's play, let's play our cards on the, ta- on the table. But yeah, what you got? I, I just want to read another post that just came up on the NoFap community as okay, we're sitting fine. here. I like um, <laughs> I, think, I think this is an interesting conversation. Um, the title is, I noticed a pattern that leads to porn watching. So I thought this would be good because we're about to talk about porn. That's nice. Yeah. In my experience, I will watch a video with a girl that's dressed up in revealing clothes. I will watch it saying it's not a bad thing to look. And then the next thing I know, I am watching X-rated videos online. You're describing being horny. Um, You're describing having normal attraction to a woman who is maybe a little bit scantily clad. Okay. Sorry. I'm going to keep, I'll keep reading. (laughs) I can't believe I never realized this pattern either. Girls in very tight yoga pants on YouTube shorts or just an image of a model. I'm glad I found the pattern, which makes me relapse. You mean having sexual attraction to women you find attractive? That's the pattern that makes you want to masturbate. I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) He finishes by saying, I have been struggling for so long with porn addiction. I may have found one of the triggers. 
And this post so far has 237 upvotes and 34 comments. Okay, so again, you you you, you know, if people haven't caught on already, I'm 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 always looking for the saving grace and everything, right? <laughs> Good for him. He's looking for triggers. He's trying to self-improve. He's trying to be a little bit more self-aware, and he's on his journey. But that's laying our couch on the table, okay? I'm an Orthodox Jew. We don't believe in masturbation, and uh, you know we, we have a prohibition for male masturbation and a prohibition in watching porn, partaking of porn, etc. You are a sexologist and probably have a uh, more modern, and- sex-positive outlook and- on these things than I do. <laughs> Yeah, we're coming from very different perspectives here. <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious from <clears throat> the perspective of sexology, and I, I do want to talk about the intersection with religion, because when you start talking about these conversations, and I, I think from a clinical perspective, it's really important to recognize the intersection between sex, compulsive behaviors, morality, and even religion. Um, I am the type of person that thinks that spirituality and religion are very are, are great things to bring into the uh, into the uh, therapy room, and I'm never going to try to challenge someone on their, their beliefs or tell them that they have to kind of reassess their relationship with reality um, just because it doesn't necessarily intersect or what's the word I'm looking for here? Align. Align. Thank you with their uh, with their religious beliefs. Yeah, it's the second time you've you've helped me. Old college try, huh? <laughs> um, but. I'm curious from a, like a from a from the research perspective, from what you've learned in your PhD, what's considered to be normal in terms of porn consumption, in terms of masturbation, in terms. So there's really we prefer to word the use to use the word normative because there, there really is no standard for right. You know, I knew that was um, a, it's a yeah. spectrum. There's a spectrum. But I mean, for me, like, I know we've had this conversation in the past where I've told you that I've had always men come in and tell me that they're a porn addict or a sex addict. And Mm -hmm. I'll say to them, okay, like, you know, how often are you you watching porn? How often are you masturbating? And, you know, they'll be like three times a week or, you know, like once once a day. And I'll be like, okay, and how long are you know, do you watch for like until I am finished? Okay, well, you know, like, how long does that take? I don't know, you know, like, somewhere between five and 20 minutes. Okay, so I'm not seeing where that's an addiction. I mean, that's a person who has normal sexual desires, sexual feelings, um, attraction. It's not preventing you from getting things done. And I know that that's kind of where people start putting that addiction label on things. Mm. Meaning where where it starts to become intrusive and inhibits them from living, let's call it a more functional life. Yes. I think it's already, I think it's already worth discussing someone that's say, for instance, an Orthodox Jew that comes into your office and says, I am masturbating every day or I'm masturbating three times a week. And I feel really distressed over this. They might even say, I think this is an addiction, right? Because that might be the language used Mm -hmm. in the community. Mm-hmm. happens to be, as I'm thinking about my community, I'm not sure if addiction is the is the word that is used in this context. I think people just say problem. Um, <laughs> but um, Sounds less shameful, yeah. you know? It's a lot about what the... Uh, well, guilt and, shame, nice. yeah. guilt and shame is, <laughs> guilt and shame is going to be part of this conversation too. But um, what, what would your approach be with that guy um, or gal? So, I mean, I would take the same approach where I want to, you know, understand more about their their sexual habits, their sexual life, you know, 
what their relationship status is, you know, like all that other information that's going to help us figure out what to do with them. But one lens that I might take actually is to advise them to go speak to a rabbi if we are talking about like a religious Jew, because I appreciate that. It's also possible that they'll go to a rabbi who, you know, tells them like, hey, that's not really an issue. Um, I'm not their religious leader. If this is a religious problem, they need to go to a religious leader to discuss that. I don't think the rabbi is going to say it's not a problem because, again, it's well, kind it, of a blanket. It depends on your community. It's a blanket prohibition. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm talking about Orthodox rabbi here as a rabbi yeah. as an Orthodox Jew because it's a blanket prohibition within the Orthodox community. But he might try to – he might – the rabbi, depending on the community, depending on the uh, – depending on his education and background, might try to release a lot of shame involved. And I think that's actually a good place. Listen, I'm I'm all for helping clients achieve the goals that they want to achieve. Someone comes into my yes. office and says, I just want to stop masturbating. I can say, listen, we might not ever get there completely because at the end of the day, I'm not sure if that is 100% realistic to expect. I think certainly from a Torah, this our reference to the, uh, you know, the, the biblical uh, Jewish perspective, um, you know, insofar as it's prescribed, I think it's uh, fair to say within our perspective, it's attainable. But it certainly seems to be the case for most men out there that it's very, 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 very difficult, if not flat out impossible. But it doesn't mean that that's not something that you want to strive for with your client. But yeah, to the extent the question becomes, at what point do you start calling it compulsive, impulsive, or potentially even in addiction? And this is where things start getting really rough online. I also want to talk talk more about like, where is this coming from? Because you're, I mean, you brought a lot of focus to what if this is a person's religious belief, which right. is obviously very important. Um, and I'm definitely going to, gonna, <laughs> to a lot of people though. I mean, I think that's a, it, it is a great point to bring up. Um, it's something that I've, you know, done with clients, not who are religious Jews, but if they're bringing like shame um, surrounding sexuality, I say like, well, what does your culture, you know, say about this type, you know, yeah. X, Y, Z, um, especially with like, now I'm working with indigenous people. I don't know what their culture says. <laughs> so I have them go find out for me. And then we could talk about that. Um, I, what I found is a lot of the, the men who bring this to me, it's coming from their partner, like mm. their, their wife, their girlfriend, whoever it is, doesn't want them watching porn at all. Doesn't want them masturbating at all. You know, like twice a week is too much. They call them a porn addict and tell them like, I'm not having sex with you until you fix this problem, which from a sex therapy perspective, from a sexology perspective is only going to make it worse because now you're saying this person can't have any sexual release, um, not with you, their partner and not by themselves with the aid of, you know, pornography or whatever they're using to assist that. Interesting. I'm, I'm taking it as kind of an implicit assumption that sexual release is something that's, if not necessary, something that is incredibly a pressing urge, a pressing need for a mammal such as ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> I'm speaking as if I've never had that urge, but yeah, I'm saying is that 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 is kind of I- the... Yeah, I mean, the, the, the base assumption is community. that sexual sex, uh, sexual urges are normal. It's a, you know, like a normative part of being a human. It's something that you're going to have and let, let that me rephr- needs let me to be addressed. That. Right. Let me rephrase that. That It's something that's going to kind of mount and build and add a huge level of stress and pressure in someone's life if they do not have that release. Potentially. 
Depends on the person. I mean, like there are some people who they have higher sex drives. There are people who have lower sex drives, but I don't want to make a baseline statement. Like there are people, I, I have friends personally, I've had clients who haven't had sex in years, have no interest, don't masturbate. Like it's not something on their radar. Mm. If a client comes to session and says that they want to, and but they haven't in years and it's something they're interested in exploring, like, great, let's, you know, like, let's work with that. But again, like bringing it back to, as you said before, what are the client's goals? If the client's like, I haven't had sex in 20 years and I don't masturbate and I have no interest, I don't care. Like, I'm here to talk about my anxiety. Like, okay, great. <laughs> Here's another interesting question. And this gets a little bit more philosophical and ethical. Um, what if a client, uh, you know, I think the question of religion is certainly within that realm as well. Because if you come from a certain perspective, that seems to contradict the basic assumptions that that religion makes about human nature. It's a really big question that I think we have to struggle with of how do we want to interface with those beliefs and how much are we willing to kind of come up against them? Is it right to come up against them? Is it right to challenge them? My personal belief is not so, but fine. Um, when it comes, however, from let's call it a place of secular morality or someone just is not necessarily associating their sense of moral shame or moral guilt associated mm-hmm. with whatever behavior it is in this context, masturbation, porn consumption, or anything else akin to that. I think that's a more important conversation because I'm also never going to question anybody's religious beliefs or challenge mm-hmm. anybody's religious beliefs. Like if you're staying a virgin till marriage because you're you know, Christian and you believe strongly in that value, like, great, like power to you. Like I'm here to support you in that journey in whatever way you need. I feel like there's, I feel there's like, like there's a butt about to come. No, no, no. no. But. no. Well, I'm, I'm saying, <laughs> it did so sound like a butt say, was about to come. <laughs> <laughs> let's say, let's say someone comes into your office. He's, he's not necessarily, he's not like bought into the idea of like semen retention as, mm-hmm. as like a way of like, you know, getting superpowers, whatever the superpowers are supposed to be. But he, he he feels like, I don't know, maybe pornography consumption is objectification of women. Okay. He feels very strongly. Ethical I don't know porn. that. Um, Ethical porn. Like let's, let's do some psychoeducation. I love psychoeducation. Okay. So that, that <laughs> basically without, I, I think from that perspective, and that's where I was assuming you were going to come from, which is like, that's actually, let's provide some psychoeducation, yeah. which is a fancy word for educating people about psychology. Um, or about and, like literally anything, but you're doing it in a therapy session. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. And then so. I write psychoeducation on my notes to make it sound like fancy. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I just say a uh, client and writer had a discussion about, um, or writer engaged in psychoeducation. Oh, you, you got to say writer provided psychoeducation on, writer provided and then you sound so smart. Yeah. I, I think, I think, I think people think I'm smart enough. I'm such a genius. <laughs> you know? Um, as it is, I understand that I, you know, I'm not as equipped with the actual education about sex. So I think if someone came into my clinic, I, it, it would be a lot of questions from my end. I'm not sure how much education I be, would be able to provide. And I guess as he is educating himself, I guess I would be ed- getting educated with him. Well, but I also think that like part of, I mean, it, it all depends on how you are as a therapist, but I feel that part of my job is to helping help facilitate some of that learning. Like I might not know about it, but I probably am better equipped to find good information true, than some of true. my clients. Like Absolutely. I had a client who asked me to teach her more about autism because she, I mean, we're both pretty sure she's autistic. 
And I was like, I mean, I know basics, but I don't think I know enough to give you what you want. So I went out and bought a book by an autistic uh, researcher. Um, It's called um, Unmasking Autism. I don't remember who wrote it, but it's amazing. Highly recommend it. Uh, And we read parts of it together in session and we learned together. So, I mean, like my advice to you, if that happened, would be, you know, like this is why we have other friends in the field. Like, yeah, absolutely. You absolutely. call me up and you're like, hey, I know this is your specialty. <laughs> like, what can you do? Help me out. <laughs> I will say, you know, I have a degree of reticence in challenging someone's moral stance as well, insofar as I always believe that providing a broad base of, of knowledge and making people aware of all the different options is a part of helping them. You know, insofar as, you know, if I'm not going to challenge someone's core religious beliefs, why am I justified, so to speak, in challenging their core moral beliefs? Um, And in providing them certain information, is that potentially challenging their core moral beliefs? And I I, I think these are questions for a different conversation. But (laughs) I mean, I think they're also a a conversation for now. Why not? Okay, fine. I like the, (laughs) the example you gave of a person who thinks that it's degrading to women you're not trying to challenge that ethical belief because that is a very valid criticism of most pornography is it can be extremely degrading to women. Um, There are people on porn sites that are being sex sex trafficked. There are videos of rape that are available on porn sites. So I think that is a very valid ethical concern, but also one that can be removed from the equation if you know where to look. If you look for ethical pornography sites, which are basically sites where there's way more consent involved, they're a little more like focused on women's pleasure, so they're less degrading to them. Usually in the beginning of those videos, like both actors will, you know, stand in front of the camera and be like, I hands. you know, like consenting to this, like this is something I'm choosing to do. Consent is (laughs) sexy. So it kind of, consent is very sexy. Yes. Consent is sexy. (laughs) So it's not, so it's not to like challenge their ethics. It's to say like, you know, like here's another side. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm definitely coming from a, from a Jewish place here. I'm from a religious place (laughs) here in terms of the uh, idea of objectification insofar as if the focus and if you're putting yourself in the position in which you are focusing on the outer appearances and the parts that you're really drawn into, the parts that really get you going, um, that is a sense of objectification insofar as we believe that, you know, the types of things that you should be more focused on or more spiritual and more, you know, more internal, so to speak. And that that's the type of objectification that if someone comes in and, and tells mm-hmm. me, like, I'm worried about that sense of objectification, not necessarily that there's a lack of consent or that it's, you know, it's, it's objectifying them in that they are purely, you know, in the, in the video. Can I ask you a question, Moshe? Yeah. How many of your clients are Orthodox Jews? No, you're right. I'm, I'm thinking about potentials here. I'm thinking about (laughs) theoretical cases in which, uh, in which, you know, uh, a man may come in or a woman may come in and uh, say, this is my concern about, uh, about my behavior. Which I, I I'm not saying that your your question's not valid there because it's totally valid. Yeah. But um. I wish I wish I had an Orthodox Jewish client. Everyone hit me up wherever I'm mysteriously working. Um, <laughs> okay, I want to I want to transition actually to discussing um, an incredibly thorny topic um, that there's a tremendous amount of internet internet vitriol about. But we're going to try to stay as parv, which for those of you who are not Jewish means uh, neutral. Um, we're going to try to stay neutral about it as much as we can. And that is the idea of 
sex addiction, porn addiction. Um, we're going to include masturbation and all other types of sexual behaviors in there. Voyeurism. I don't know. You, you give me whatever other types of sexual behaviors you might want to include in there. What do you think? I think we, I think we might come out on different sides in this. I don't, I don't think you can talk about all of those things at once. Yeah, like I, I, voyeurism they're, they're, is very different than. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, they, they're, they're obviously, it's, it's this whole slew of, uh, you know, let's, let's talk about then, um, pornography because that was directly related to this post. All right. What about it? It's, it's even a hard question to define in a certain point. You know, lots of people like to frame the question is, can pornography be addictive? And people will come out on different sides of that equation. There are acclaimed scientists, uh, or so they're said to be, that say one way and say, the, and say the other way. And research, from my view, seems like there's a good amount on both sides. I've personally seen more research on one side, which I'll let you know in a second. But um, that's just for my own Google Scholar searches. I'm curious what the sexology community says is the acronym right it's one of the organizations i mean there's that's the one that's the one you're getting accredited by right uh gavi cut this part out because i'm not allowed to say that until i'm actually like uh certified you're not allowed to say that you're going to get certified to them until you get certified by them (laughs) wow why i don't know That's that's like me saying like they have like very strict rules and they I'm make you pay training. to be a member before you're actually like certified. So like I'm paying even though I'm getting no benefit right now. I'm taking a training that's most definitely not DBT training with Marshall Linenham <laughs> next month. <laughs> I got I got a certification from Marshall Linenham and DBZ. Oh, I didn't um, even tell you. Um, I got I, I got through the lottery to do a um, IFS training. I have Shit. to like How'd sign up that? like today if I'm going to do it though. And it's like $4,000. So I'm probably not. Yeah, doing no, it. it's mad expensive. You, you, <laughs> you let me know how much like a cult it feels, please. Yeah. This is I don't think I'm doing it. I, I, I totally thought that it was going to, I wasn't going to get like accepted. So I was like, oh, you know, like I'll just. Well, it's just like too fun. much of a time commitment. Time commitment, money. I think there's modalities I'd rather learn too. Yeah, no, I want to start with the basics before I go to something like. Yeah. IFS. It's too Especially specialized, because, like, so you have to I like I, really be sure that that's what you want to do. I think I told you this. There was an Orthodox therapist who hosts like an actual radio show <laughs> in Lakewood, New Jersey, um, for like mental health awareness. He had Dick Shorts on. Um, oh, and how and was it? It was cute. I didn't learn anything I hadn't like already heard from him in other contexts. <laughs> but like, it was good. It's this little Orthodox. I don't want to call him little. He's actually he's he's held him well over now, and he's he's doing a lot for the. Uh, like more right wing community in Lakewood, but um, he um he had questions and answers afterwards. So I, I asked Dick Schwartz. I'm like, hey, shout out from Wurzweiler, and the guy's like, oh, I went to Wurzweiler. I'm like, yeah, I know. Modern Orthodox community loves you. Shout out from YU. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, and then uh, this this is what I love. He uh, the, the guy his name's Moshe. He goes, uh, the, the the radio show is called Mondays with Moshe. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's a it's great cute. name. So he goes, he goes, he goes, Dr. Schwartz, Wurzweiler is one of the most prestigious uh, social work uh, in, uh, um, graduate programs in the country. I'm like, bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Uh, it was one of the what? <laughs> most prestigious social work oh, programs in the country. I'm like, That bullshit. can't be true. That would say very bad things about the rest of the social work programs. Oh, yeah. It, 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 dude. <laughs> um, I think that's uh, whatever. Anyway, so I asked Dick Schwartz, I'm like, um, from everything that I've heard from you, I feel like you don't necessarily believe that uh, 
you know, do you feel like IFS is compatible with other modalities? Like, do you see a need for other modalities? He's like, oh, I think it works well with um, with uh, EMDR and uh, somatic modalities. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, those aren't the ones I had in mind. Like, within IFS, like, there's no need for psychoanalytic modalities. There's no need for CBD modalities. There's no need for, like, DBT type stuff. Like, everything that's, like, the more normative, basic I mean, but, schools. But it's, like, literally anybody who's like super into modality into like a certain modality is the same way. They're all like, this is the only modality you need. Like maybe EMDR um, works with it, but, but the EMDR people are all like EMDR is the only thing that works. This no, you're right. And you're right. Day. And I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm very, I'm attracted to the people that are more powerful, but okay, let's get back to it. Ready? Yeah. I wait, what were we talking about? Porn addiction? What, what was uh, the last we're talking about porn. We're talking about what's, the sexology community thinks about porn. So I sent you this article, Moshe, from Slate um, about the NoFap community. And I want to just point to an interesting statistic that um, I found here. There was a recent survey in the NoFap subreddit and 68.9% of participants said they felt suicidal following their most recent relapse, which is when they masturbate. And I wanted oh, to out, know time what out. You... Yeah, yeah, time, time out, time out. So that's that's Nicole Prowse too. I don't want to get into this thing where I have to start shooting stuff down, pointing out that she is the researcher that puts like out everything that's like pro porn is her. I don't think everything is her, <laughs> but, she, <laughs> but she is one of the the you know the the biggest sexologists right now in terms of the research. It doesn't mean that her her content's not good. She's also my professor, so I know is her she? personally. Yes, is I she? told you. Yes, she's the she's my dissertation professor. I didn't know that. Wow. Yes. Interesting. Interesting. I'm gonna send you some stuff. <laughs> she's she is brilliant. Does she All seem right, normal? So, yes. Why? I've seen like some like internet exchanges between her and other people and she can seem a little all right you'll have to send me that later yeah. we'll talk about this off, 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 uh, recording all right so all right. i guess let's back avoid this article back into it I, but, but, what are we no, talking before, about no before I'm, I'm happy to actually talk about the suicide element of it because it's a really important element of just talking about how do you want to conceptualize this is it is it good to think about think about this as an addiction should it be more of a compulsive like should we categorize as compulsive behavior or things of this nature how much do we moralize it but um let's actually save that before like let's save that for a little bit more in uh, maybe honestly we can get there let's just frame the conversation i think we we should frame the conversation i really don't remember where we where we started off so i want let's take a step back we were just talking about the, porn addiction we were that right, was so all we like, were going into right now Okay, I don't know if we said anything about porn addiction other than there seems to be research from lots of different people claiming different types of thing. And with that, I will say the conversation itself is, you know, as I just mentioned, framing the question can be a little bit difficult too, especially from a a clinical perspective. It can get a little dicey where you're starting to wonder, as we were kind of mentioning before, like what's actually the problem here? Is this compulsive? Can you, should we really be conceptualizing this as addictive? And those terms might seem a little arbitrary and they might seem a little um, irrelevant because if it's a problem, it's a problem. And I'm there too. And I want to help my clients achieve whatever goals they want to achieve. But the debate about how to conceptualize this type of behavior when it's unwanted, I think is a really important one. Liat, in the sexology community, do they believe that pornography can be addictive? If it's not, how do they conceptualize it when individuals come with unwanted porn use? 
So I have to say this is one area in which my my education was lacking. Um, so I have done, you know, like my own research. Obviously, um, we did some research before we came on to have this conversation. But it was something that, away. that was <laughs> supposed to be all off the cuff. Shoot. Okay, yeah. Um, it was something that was mentioned a lot. And all that was ever said was like, no, we do not believe in sex and porn addiction but like without really clarifying why they would they would just say like the research doesn't support it interesting but i mean i don't know if it's just because of like you know the classes i went to like um i didn't have you know a lecture on that topic in itself it was more like something mentioned in conjunction with another topic so what do you think so i just tried doing a little research on this there is a ton of stuff out there surprising from my perspective, like a surprising amount of stuff out there. Um, it's interesting. There's some websites that I found that are like advocates for porn and advocates against porn consumption mm-hmm. or advocates that's, um, and all then like put together these extensive lists of dozens, if not hundreds of, of neurological, psychological, sociological studies. Um, I've, Personally, I feel like the wealth of information that I consumed was arguing that there are brain changes sufficiently similar to the types of brain uh, changes you see within addictive disorders, um, substance abuse addictions, in order to comfortably conceptualize it as an addiction. Mm -hmm. Um, I think some of the basic features of the behaviors of porn consumption for some people can some can potentially be conceptualized as addictive but it's certainly not across the board and because i'm not a neuroscientist i even kind of shudder to think about trying to defend the idea and really talk about the research about desensitization habituation talking about you know dopamine reward circuits uh was it delta fos b or C or three um, in. Um... So I, I think what the the position of, you know, the community that I kind of am in right now. Not, not to name a specific uh, organization. Not to name a specific organization or specific school. Um, but it's that basically labeling um, sex and porn and masturbation as an addiction is kind of... Um, oversimplifying the more like complex nature of human sexuality and kind of uh, it's not fully aligning with what research into the sex field says and sex area says. Wow. That sounded kind of, I'm not going to lie. (laughs) (laughs) What, what like, okay, let's, let's talk, let's, let's, let's get into the nitty gritty here. What's, what is an addiction? Like that's, that's define addiction. Oh, that's a good question. Do we have to do we have to Google this one? I mean, we can. So Let's this, do this it. Is, this is this is actually a tremendous. This this is actually a tr- this. Is, there's a tremendous amount of literature just about this question in and of itself. I've looked at some of this too. Some people would go so far as to say that we shouldn't. <laughs> Dictionary.com necessarily... is very useless right here. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I've seen I've seen psychologists that go so far as to say it might not be relevant to consider substance abuse disorders, meaning people that are abusing drugs and alcohol, it might not be such a good term to use. It might not be so good to use addiction as the term in those cases. Again, that's a whole other, you know, how many intensive outpatient groups that I ran where we had like 
full on shouting matches like between clients about like are you an addict what what addiction is like <laughs> yeah and that's an incredible wait you worked in an addictions clinic and i worked you in worked substance in, abuse yeah yeah, yeah. yeah you worked in substance abuse so new what's what's a what's an addiction the way i defined it and the way that i like what i would say um cuz you you get a lot of people in those groups that are like um well, how come that person can drink a glass of wine every night with dinner and they're not mm-hmm. an addict, but I am, you know, like with the label, I mean. Um, right. And what I would say is the thing that the DSM, which I know we we have a lot of criticism of the DSM. I won't go into that right now but because it's going to get off it. track. We also um, But it's, it's something we have to <laughs> use. But the one thing that like kind of makes something a disorder is that it is impacting your relationships or your work or your ability to take care of things at home, blah, 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 blah. So that was mm-hmm. kind of like my baseline answer for like, what is addiction? Like if you're drinking wine every night, but then it's causing problems with your loved ones and you're not cleaning the house and you're late to work three times a week and all you can think about is making sure you have enough wine in the house for the weekend like that is an addiction but if you're like me and 90% of the time I forget to buy wine for Shabbat and then I'm running out like late on a Friday (laughs) not so much addiction (laughs) yeah yeah I got you I got you and you're you're pointing out a lot of important criteria that are that are listed in the DSM, which is kind of the Bible of uh, diagnostic. Um, it's for the diagnostic. Anyway. What for Americans anyway? The- for Americans, di- diagnostic statistic manual. We're on five point We're on five. Point I think something five revised <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, it's revised. Um, they list. I think is it twelve or thirteen diagnostic uh, um, criteria. And I know a lot we of them, were tested on they this. Have to do I with don't inter, remember. Yeah, yeah interpersonal uh, impacts on the imper- interpersonal, potential legal issues, um, impaired uh, executive uh, functioning, I think. You know, I've seen something very simple, such as you continue using it despite the, despite the problems it causes. You begin to start having urges and cravings for it. You don't have so much self-control over it. And it's compulsive. Very simple. Um, there's a tremendous, I think, wealth of research about kind of what the neuromarkers are, like I was talking about before, um, sensitization, what has to be happening internally inside your brain in order for it to resemble an addiction. And that's where people like I've seen, um, debates between some prominent, um, sexologists, uh, trained in neurology and other neurologists that might not necessarily also be considered sexologists, um, arguing about whether or not there's sufficient neuromarkers to categorize it. As- and I will say that like, at least from my research and my knowledge, the sexology field is extremely limited in that there is not a lot of research on most topics in the sexology field. And I think that's kind of where these vague statements are coming from that you've referenced yeah. and these kind of like cagey statements is what a lot of the big sexology organizations are saying more of is there's just not sufficient research to call it not, not enough sufficient good research for the sexology field to want to label it as an addiction. Really interesting to hear that when, and you, I think you're more of an expert on what qualifies as good research versus bad research. Listen, in our master's, we got a good preview 
into what that is, but writing a dissertation, being in the PhD program, I think you have a much better taste and a much better, you know, barometer for what's good and bad. I mean, but I saw, uh... <laughs> yeah, you would hope so. At the very, I just, I saw so much out there. Um, but I know, I know this is a different ar- argument, but like a lot of what is out there is stuff from like people who research addiction and people who are kind of coming from a different lens than from the sexology field. And that doesn't mean that, you know, one group is right and the other group is wrong. It's just kind of like your school of thought. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I I think it'd be nice for our listeners if maybe we at least cite a couple, let's call them meta studies where, you know, we're, researchers kind of collate information about the conversation. I saw a couple. Yeah. You see, I don't have that prepared right now. <laughs> no, not, not right now. I'm saying maybe on the, maybe on the footnotes of the, of the podcast, look out for it. Gotcha, Our gotcha. Here are three listeners. Um, I hope we get three listeners for this first episode. Um, I saw kind of consensus among certain things. I have some notes here. Um, again, the secret is we did some preparation for this. Porn use can be an escalating behavior. This is the basic argument for dis- describing it as an addiction. And then I actually want to go into a, a different conversation about why might it be better conceptualized as a different type of disorder, but it's an escalating behavior, same like drugs um, and alcohol can be. Gambling too, though behavioral disorders of which gambling is one of. Um, that's a hot, heated debate as well. Escalating behavior, which leads to increased use sensitization, right? You become kind of hypersensitive to the stimulus. You become more receptive to it neurologically. And then desensitization, meaning you become desensitized to it. The same type of stimuluses or the same frequency with which we are watching it does not become sufficient. And other related stimulus, stimuli, no longer quite suffice to scratch that itch. Hyperfrontality, meaning your the parts of your brain that control your executive functioning and allow you to exert self-control so to speak kind of go into hibernation when it comes to this behavior cost and time and money risky behavior and ultimately there are even some that argue that ultimately it results in a malfunctioning stress system but like yeah at the end of the day i can also see a fear argument especially from a clinical perspective for advocating advocating against the use of the term addiction in this context. And this is where it becomes important for listeners that might be interested in actually pursuing help with this or people that are interested in just understanding what help looks like. At the end of the day, like how do we actually go about, as we were mentioning at the beginning of the episode, helping someone with unwanted sexual behavior? Is it better conceptualized as an addiction clinically, a compulsive disorder similar to obsessive compulsive disorder? and does it make such a difference? Us being social workers, do we have a different view on this? You being a sexologist, do you have a different view of this? Me being a rabbi for this podcast is irrelevant. What you got? <laughs> I don't think it's irrelevant. I think it's important and cool. It shapes my view, um, but I'm not going to quote rabbinic, <laughs> rabbinic views on, uh, on addiction and masturbation and things of that nature here necessarily. So I guess – so Moshe and I had a, uh, a little heated argument about this a couple of weeks back and we kind of took a break and gave ourselves time to recalibrate before recording this. Mm-hmm. But I, I think ultimately what we came – the um, conclusion we came to last time, which I still believe is the right conclusion, is does it really matter? Yeah. I mean for me, I'm going to – usually I'm going to call it what the client calls it. I'm going to deal with it the way the client wants to deal with it. Um, the only time I might try to make them see things differently 
is again, when I have somebody who they're there's no religious issue going on. There's no real moral or ethical reason. It's more like my last therapist told me I'm a sex addict because I masturbate three times a week or my wife caught me watching porn. And now she's saying I'm a sex addict and have to get therapy. Um, Those are the situations where I'm going to want to like reframe it and be like, actually, psychoeducation time like (laughs) it's normal to be horny it's normal to you know have a sexual release um you're not a sex addict because you masturbate sometimes and you know xyz right at the same time if it becomes problematic for someone if they really feel like it's incommensurate with their moral moral religious spiritual beliefs if they feel like it's a waste of time if it's getting in their way of self-esteem for whatever reason, I think it's certainly worthwhile to seek out professional advice. Now, which I'm not arguing about. I think I would just like, as you know, like I might approach it similarly to the way I might approach depression and I would take their pornography as like a symptom of that. Right. Which goes, which leads us back to the post, which is this guy saying, why isn't my depression getting better? Yeah. Maybe because, maybe because you're clinically depressed. Maybe you actually maybe have major, dep- maybe you have a major, de- like, <laughs> he didn't, I mean, he didn't mention having a partner or having friends or having close family. Maybe what he's lacking is social He exercises connection. six times a day, but doesn't have a friend. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's possible, you it know, possible. like, what else is going on? Do you have Absolutely. like a passion you can explore? Like, um, have you always wanted to learn Chinese? Well, then like go take a class. <laughs> like, are you, have you always been interested in pottery or learning to repair a car? Like, you know, like, let's see what else we can do with your life. Yeah. Do you need I, a new um, job? Yeah. Taking that holistic- new life. Sorry. Taking that oh god. <laughs> taking that taking that holistic perspective is 100% where I come from. That might be and that's that's face it yeah because we're new at this hashtag name of the name of the uh podcast. He um, said the episode, the show name. Yeah, there you go. Um <laughs> Because we're new at this, it could be that we try to take more of a holistic perspective because we're kind of forced to. And it could be as we start getting more specialized training, we'll be like, no, I found the answer to everything. And we see this. We, we were just talking about how we see certain clinicians and certain theoreticians that think that their way is really like the only way of treating almost anything. And we're, we come from this perspective of like, how could you say that with such certainty? But it could be two, three decades down the line, we're just like, oh, yeah, we are 100% CBT aficionados or DBT. I'd also like to like bring in the finding the right fit in a therapist. Sure, like sure. maybe my view on pornography does not match yours and I am the wrong therapist for you. Mm-hmm. Like right now you and I are both kind of in community mental health style um, jobs. So we can't really there's not as much um, opportunity for people to be like, this therapist doesn't work for me. I want to try somebody else. But that is a big part of therapy. Um, 100%. If you can afford it. If you can afford it. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. (laughs) Like if, if there's availability, you know, like all that good stuff, because like how many times a week do you walk out of session? I mean, like it happens less now than it, did when I first started practicing, but you're like, Oh God, that was a disaster. I'm a terrible therapist. I don't know what I'm doing. 
And then like your next session, your client is like praising you and you're, they're like, you've helped me so much. Oh my God, you're the best therapist I ever and had. And then the third session, they just don't show up. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, 100%. It's, it's interesting. I want to go back to what you were saying, kind of using the client's own conceptualization of it and maybe even using their own ter- terminology. And this gets to the question of moralizing the behavior. If someone considers themselves to be an addict, for better or for worse, within our, com- within our community, within our society right now, being an addict is a bad thing. Now, I personally, as a yeah. mental health professional, don't think that it, being an addict is a bad thing in a moral sense. I don't think it's- But there is stigma that comes with it. Yeah, for sure. I don't, I don't think, you know, like I said, I don't think it's a bad thing in a moral sense. I think it's a bad thing in terms of like having the type of life that most people usually like to have, um, not dying before you're 40 or whatever. Um, not to say that all addicts die before they're 40. Um, yeah, <laughs> but, no, uh, uh, <laughs> trust I won't me go that. off on that, but <laughs> yeah. Okay. But, uh, either way, um, either way it, it could be, and this gets back to what you're saying with the psychoeducation piece, helping people to explore different ways of conceptualizing the disorder that they are struggling with, be it compulsive pornography or masturbation, or be it depression, be it borderline personality disorder, helping them to see it beyond just the label that was given to them initially or the label that they became comfortable with is a really important part of therapy. I love that point because I am constantly telling people that diagnoses don't matter and that it's something we put for insurance purposes. Mm, now and- we just ostracize all the mental health professionals, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but like, it's true. I mean, like I'm not treating yeah, your diagnosis. I'm treating I'm your treating symptoms you. or I'm 100%. trying to. <laughs> right. It's hard because there, there, are, but- <laughs> yeah, there are clients that I have experienced where I'm just like, wow, you are X, Y, or Z. You are borderline. You are a classic basket case of, uh, of depression, but Absolutely. But at the end of the day, who's that helping? Right. And then again, being that we're new at this, we don't necessarily have a complete therapeutic protocol on treating things, let alone a, or even if we do have the literacy in that protocol and in the theory to tailor it to every client. And in that regard, I think helping clients reconceptualize their disorder and kind of prioritize their treatment based off whatever developing conceptualization that they have is really important and useful thing. I have found that works over and over again. I had a client that's borderline, uh, is borderline, um, who just kept on labeling labeling herself as a narcissist because I guess with a lot of literature that you see online maybe or on TikTok, wherever it is, maybe people are associating borderline personality disorder with narcissism. And for better or for worse, narcissism is an incredibly morally loaded word. And it wasn't helping her. I think it's something we're going to end up talking about a lot on this show as we like focus on kind of um, crazy mental health related social media posts is a lot of these terms get used wrong. Kind of some of these mental health buzzwords kind of take on new meaning on TikTok or Instagram or whatever. Um, They become very loaded. There becomes a lot of content that kind of paints... um, certain diagnoses in a certain light. And that can be really damaging for a person if they're trying to learn about a diagnosis they were maybe given by a mental health professional. Mm -hmm. Or if they see like a TikTok and they're like, oh, wow, I really relate to those symptoms. I must have, you know, borderline personality disorder. And really, they just have, you know, some attachment trauma, um, not even that severe, but like enough where they feel that they meet the criteria. (sighs) Yeah. 
that's a whole different conversation. It's funny. It's funny yeah. how much this this one, I, and that's just what I kind of love about the ment- mental health and, and therapy in general. Nothing is a topic in and of, in and of itself. Um, obviously, there's specific focuses and specific specialties in research and in practice. But at the end of the day, it's there's an intersection none of us between know anything. absolutely, yeah. A, none <laughs> of us know anything. At least as we're get, at least as we're starting out. But we know a lot, and I, I hope that I hope that comes through because I, I I sure feel super self conscious saying everything I just said and knowing how little I do know. But uh, hopefully, 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 the people that listen to this gain some important information. Yeah, I think this conversation can go on forever. As we just said, Probably. everything in mental health kind of kind of uh, ties in uh, to each other. I just want to wrap it up, kind of sum, sum up some points. First of all, if you're struggling, get the help. Second of all, be skeptical about what you read online. Just because oh, you read it online yes. doesn't mean it's true. Semen <laughs> retention may or and may not you work. if you hear it on TikTok, <laughs> it's probably not true. It's probably not true. <laughs> that much being said, if you feel like you have a problem, for instance, if you feel like you struggle with compulsive masturbation, porn use, or anything else that you feel like is a problem, seek a, seek a, seek a professional. Don't feel, yeah. don't, feel, don't feel ashamed. We didn't even talk about guilt and shame. Oh, man. Okay, well, we're gonna have to talk about that in another, for another day. Episode. I yeah. can't. <laughs> but um, don't 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 feel don't feel ashamed. There is hope for everyone, and um, look for the right fit in therapists. I think that is the basic idea. Research is complicated for those of us other uh, therapists just starting out. Don't do uh, a PhD. Do a PhD and become no, a master. No, don't do one. That's my advice. And become a master at <laughs> one specific topic so you can actually tell people what's good research or not. In the meantime, for all of us, we're going to continue scratching our heads trying to uh, make sense of the debates between all the different neuroscientists about whether or not things are actually uh, meet, the, meet the criteria for the neuromarkers of, uh, of uh, addiction. In the meantime, go get help if you need it. Or and, we will uh, never think about this Don't take any of our again. advice. Seriously, yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, that much being said... Give them, the, give them our, our handle. Yeah. So if you want to follow us on Instagram and um, be made aware of any new episodes that come out, our username is we're new at this. So that's we're new at this on Instagram, W-E-R-E-N-E-W-A-T-T-H-I-S. And I don't think Moshe's on social media, but if you want to follow me, my Twitter <laughs> is at itsliat, I-T-S-L-I-A-T. And my Instagram, I have to look it up, is lovesexliat. All right. Hashtag no, hashtag no. Uh, hashtag no, no fap. Or anti oh, no uh, <laughs> all right signing out moshe we got thank you for joining us and uh we hope to speak with you soon